Good morning, morning. Thank you. Thank you for saying morning back. Uh, I'm Raul Perez. I'm a senior associate here, and uh, I'm preaching uh, in place of Scott, Pastor Scott, our lead pastor, who's uh, been on a fishing trip. Uh, and I didn't catch it, call it a catching trip because I haven't gotten the report yet if it was a catching trip or a fishing trip. He'll let us know when he gets back. But uh, we continue this week with uh, our Encounters with Christ series, and uh, I want us to, to look at a picture to kind of Get, uh, get started with this morning's uh, uh, sermon. Who's familiar with this, with this moment? <laughs> right? We got, we got one child who's, uh, he's, he's not, he doesn't look very happy, and another one who's gleaming, gleaming. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's fair, it's valid to not want to sit on a bearded, red jumpsuited man's lap, right? That's a valid fear. But, this other child, she's, she's somehow pushed past that. She's, still, she's letting the wonder of Christmas and the possibility that if she's good with Santa, she's going to get all her gifts. She's allowed that to help push her through. But, you know, as adults, we, we kind of we hide that fear and we kind of lose that wonder when it, comes to, when it comes to moments like this. What happens to those moments as we grow? Is there a way for us to channel that fear and maybe recover that wonder that we once had when we were children? See, when I'm with my parents, I feel this permission to be my childhood self again. And my folks are actually here. They're here from Ventura, California. This was the first time they've ever seen me preach, so I'm glad, I'm glad that they're here. Woo! And my, my, actually, my in-laws are here, too. And my, my whole family's here. <laughs> So when I'm with my folks, I kind of go back to this childhood self. I, I feel this permission. There's this permission to let my mom care for me and give me wisdom and, like, lavish her love on me. I feel this permission to let my dad instill leadership and confidence and creativity in me. But also, deep in me, I feel this sense that I'm allowed to be scared and amazed with my folks that I can share my fears and especially the wonders that I'm discovering with them, much like I did when I was a child. But I don't live my adult life like this, though, you know? I don't believe I can generally expose my fears and wonder to the world. The older I get, the more responsibility comes my way, and I have taken that to mean that I simply need to be more productive. A way I've learned to do this is by suppressing my fear and suppressing my wonder so they don't distract me from accomplishing the work I feel like I need to do. And the thing is, this is in total contrast to how children are, right? Children really share their fear and wonder with the world. And they even go up to anybody who may listen and invite them to share their fears and their wonder with them. And as adults, we just don't jump right into that. They're open books of fear and wonder. And didn't Jesus tell us to humble ourselves like children so that we may see the kingdom of God? Perhaps children have much to teach us this morning about our passage and about seeing who Jesus is. I want to focus on two things this morning. First, I want to focus on the disciples' reaction to Jesus calming the storm. 
And second, I want to talk about the invitation that Jesus made to the disciples in that moment and the invitation that Jesus has for us this morning. To help us consider the disciples' reaction, I want us to think about a coin. You know, heads, tails. The phrase, two sides of the same coin, means two things that are seemingly unrelated become related. So in this case, fear and wonder are two sides of the same coin. Fear and wonder are very different emotions with very different end goals, so we don't see them together very much. But in today's passage, we see the disciples in the boat having just survived a violent storm and just observed Jesus calm that storm with a word, and they unknowingly allow those two emotions to come together, two sides of the same coin. This has a profound result in them that we'll see in a little bit. But for now, fear and wonder, two sides of the same coin, Let's focus on the first, fear. When I was about 10 years old, uh, I played uh, for a minor league team called the Royals. And I had, I wish I, I, was, I looked for a picture for myself, you know, one of those blue, blue <laughs> uh, uniforms. And I was, uh, I, was, I was the pitcher, and so I'm on the mound on one inning, and I'm starting to, to throw for, to the batters, and uh, I don't know how it exactly went, but, you know, hit, run, um, walk, the bases are starting to get filled, no outs yet, and all of a sudden the bases are loaded, and I need a timeout because I'm starting to cry, and I'm getting overwhelmed by the pressure of bases loaded, no outs, what am I going to do? I felt like my efforts were, were bringing up nothing but, but potentials for runs for the other team. And I was full of fear that I would uh, fail the team, but that I would also disappoint the coach. And the coach was my dad. And, sorry dad. Uh, what ended up happening was, uh, you know, score, uh, runs scored, and, um, but I got out of the inning. I was able to make the outs and everything, and I was walking back to the dugout, and I was really nervous to face my dad because I figured he would be angry, disappointed with me. But my father wasn't disappointed in my performance. Actually, he was pleased with me for persevering through a difficult situation, he was pleased with me. See, I let my fear get the best of me when I believed that my father would respond to me based on my performance. If he were to, he would have sure regarded me as a failure. No, my father responded to me like his son, seeing who I am first and encouraging me in a character quality that I had just lived out, perseverance. But this is what fear does. It causes us to move away from love as a source of fulfillment to performance as a source of worth. I'll say that again. It ca- fear causes us to move away from love as a source of fulfillment to a performance as a source of worth. It causes us to move away from a belief that we are made and loved and are lovable to a belief that we are inadequate and we must prove our worth. It causes us to think others cannot actually love us for who we are, but only want what we can do for them. It causes us to think that God 
does not care about us, does not really love us, and has fallen asleep on us. Who's felt like that before, that God has fallen asleep on you? Fear is a great deceiver in this way. It causes us to believe we are alone and life is about survival. Fear is like waves crashing against a hillside, lapping at our foundations over time, and eroding central truths that we are loved and we can trust others to love us. And when moments of crisis arrive, like the sudden and powerful storm that fell upon the disciples, we see the fruit of fear, panic, self-preservation, and forgetting that we can call out to our Heavenly Father. Our fears we have nursed over time show up in moments of crisis and show us in what we have put our faith. And thus, Jesus' question, where is your faith? Or better said, in what have you put your faith? Fear tells us we are alone, so we put our faiths in ourselves and we get to work. We believe we are alone in the boat and it is up to us to deal with our problems. So we bail water while Jesus saws logs, or so we think. We end up shaming ourselves for our inadequacies and inabilities and lose faith in the truth that we are loved and we are never alone. There's a nondescript detail that starts our passage this morning, and it testifies to this truth that we are never alone. See, it starts this way. One day, Jesus and his disciples boarded a boat. That's kind of like once upon a time, right? It's just, it's just the intro to the story, but it's a very important detail because Jesus got in the boat. He got in the, in the boat with the disciples to go into the calm and go into the coming storm. Jesus got into the boat with the disciples to be with them. Jesus is always in the boat, and Jesus is always with us. Some might snark here and say, he may be in the boat, but he is asleep. But in a way, Jesus is the great teacher, amen? And even in sleep, Jesus is teaching us. Jesus is showing the disciples what a posture of trust looks like in the midst of a storm. And it's not just blind trust that will all work out. No, it's a trust in a person. See, my boys, who are two and four, when they get scared, the first thing they do is run and find us because they know that we will care for them and we love them. And let's be honest, they run to my wife 90% of the time, but I did the same with my mom, so it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's full circle. As I said, children have much to teach, to teach us this morning, and this is one of them. Our fears should not drive us deeper into a re- reliance on ourselves. They should cause us to run to God. Jesus is always pointing to the Father, and him sleeping here is yet again pointing us to the Father. The Father is the one we put our trust in so that we may have peace and rest, but also the one we run to in our fear. And Jesus is not only encouraging the disciples to turn to the Father, but is 
causing them to open their eyes to who he is as well. The Greek word for fear here is phobeo, where we get the word phobia. It can mean to flee from or to avoid, which is kind of hard to do when you're in a boat in the middle of a storm. You can't really flee or avoid that. But it can also mean to revere or to be in awe of. And this is what Jesus is desiring for the disciples. He wants them to stop trying to flee or avoid the storm and be in awe of Jesus in the midst of the storm. You see, both of these are rooted in fear, but the one has us being in fear of many things, so we put faith in ourselves. And the other has us being in fear of a person and has us putting our faith in God. But fearful awe alone is not enough for us to recognize who Jesus is. There's another element that is needed, and it's the other side of the coin. Let's look at wonder. A couple weeks ago, I was up at 5 a.m. with my uh, older son, Solomon, because he likes to get up early. And uh, we're sitting at the, uh, the little breakfast nook, and we're, I, we're playing Play-Doh, and I ask him, can I read you the Bible? And he says, yes. So I read him Psalm 24, and I'll just read a little excerpt here that kind of got us on a little exercise. It says, Mighty gates, lift up your heads. Ancient doors, rise up high so the glorious king can enter. Who is this glorious king? The Lord of heavenly forces. He is the glorious king. And so I tell him, you know, that is telling the the gates of Jerusalem to open themselves up to receive the king. And I said, the king is Jesus. Do you think that we should open our back door for Jesus? I'm surprised he said yes. I mean, if I was him, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know what this is all about. I I don't want to do that. But he did. He said, let's open the door. So I go over to the back door and I open it up and I say, Jesus, you're here. And he's sitting at the nook kind of craning his neck like, who's? Uh, So we do that and he, and he, and he doesn't see him. And so he's, uh, you know, he's, he's confounded and so he's, uh, he's looking at me like, where's Jesus? So, uh, but, oh, that slipped in there. This silly boy, my silly boy. No, there's him. He's, ah, where's Jesus at? And, you know, it's interesting because I know my son was scared. He was scared about the possibility of this Jesus actually being at the back door when we open it, right? Like, uh, and so, but there's a sense of wonder about who he is that caused him to push past that fear and be open to meeting him while we opened our back door. You know, I think my son in that moment is wondering, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus that I can't see, but my dad says is there? I love the wonder in the eyes of my boys because you can see they're exhilarated. Their minds are just exploding with the, the expansion of all the things that they're learning all the time. And this is exactly what the Greek word here means. 
It's thaumatso, and it means astonished out of one's senses. So every time my boys are wondering about the world, they're literally having their minds blown because they're learning so much stuff. And it's going beyond what they believe is real and believe is possible. So I wonder, pun intended, if this is the childlike faith that Jesus is calling us to. I wonder if the disciples in the boat that day were like children too. Notice that Luke only points out the disciples' fearful awe and wonder after Jesus calms the storm. So let's read it. One day Jesus and his disciples boarded a boat And he said to them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set sail. While they were sailing, he fell asleep. Gale force winds winds swept down on the lake. The boat was filling up with water and they were in danger. So they went and woke Jesus shouting, master, master, we're going to drown. But he got up and gave orders to the wind and the violent waves. The storm died down and it was calm. He said to his disciples, where is your faith? And then, filled with awe and wonder, they said to each other, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. It is in reaction to Jesus himself and his acts that caused the disciples to be in wonder about him. And this isn't the Ripley's Believe It or Not kind of amazement, like being amazed at the man who grew 31-foot-long nails on his left hand over 66 years, or watching Joey Chestnut eat 74 hot dogs in 10 minutes for the new world record. I I mean, I guess these things are sort of incredible, right? But do they transport us back to our childlike minds that imagined a world beyond belief. Imagine with me the disciples as little children growing up in the Jewish faith. Their parents sitting them down at night and teaching them how to pray about Jewish customs and giving them the opportunity to light the menorah at Hanukkah. Reminding them who they are, where they came from, and most importantly, who God is. They would have been taught the Torah, which is the first five books in the Bible, which includes Genesis, and in Genesis is the account of creation. Imagine their father and mother teaching them about creation on their living room floor, what might they have said? They might have said, listen now, I'm going to teach you how the God of heaven and earth created all things. In the beginning, God said. And their parents would have gotten to the third day, and they would have said, God said, let the waters under the sky come together into one place so that the dry land can appear. And that's what happened. God named the dry land earth, and he gathered the waters together, and he called them seas. God saw how good it was. 
in their child minds, they would have imagined a being speaking words that floated in the air and came and landed upon the face of the earth. And the gathered waters that this being spoke were called seas. God created the seas and he commanded them with a word. Do you think on on that day when the disciples were in the boat in the midst of this violent storm and watching Jesus comment with a word, if they weren't transported back to their childlike selves, remembering that on the third day, God created the seas with a word. Jesus to them would have been a first century superhero. It's like us hearing all about Superman our whole lives, and then all of a sudden one day he comes zooming across and up and he's going to stop the meteor from crashing into earth. It would be incredible. It would be, it would blow our minds. That's what this is like, but so much more. Because the moment that the disciples are living through is linking Jesus to creation, and only God was at creation. Who is this man is the first question out of the mouths of the disciples. Their fear has moved from the storm out there to a fearful awe about the Jesus right in front of them. Their wonder is not focused on the profound act of calming the storm with a word. No, now their wonder is focused on who this Jesus is to do such a thing that only God did at creation. It is in this moment, with Jesus' question still lingering in the air, in what have you put your faith, where the disciples allow fearful awe and wonder to live together in the same space, the two sides of the same coin. And for a powerful moment there, Jesus... Jesus' question draws the disciples' fear of the storm and their wonder about the storm being calmed into pure focus on him. Their fear and wonder are no longer wandering all over the place. They are purely focused on Jesus. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are people who have pure hearts, for they will see God. Pure here can also be translated single-minded, one purpose. So those who have single-minded focus, they will see God. And for a moment, Jesus draws the disciples' fear and wonder into a single-minded focus to see Jesus. Just Jesus. And it causes them to ask, who is this man, and purely focus their faith on Jesus. Subtly and beautifully, Jesus is helping the disciples to see him as the Son of God, the Christ, the Savior. The invitation that Jesus is making them to that day on the boat is to surrender to surrender to him as Lord and Savior and put their faith in him alone. And likewise this morning, the invitation Jesus is making to us 
is the same. To surrender our lives, to purely focus our faith on Jesus, who is the Christ, who is Lord and Savior. Post high school, when I was 19, I, I entered my own storm in my life. I was making poor decisions in my family, and with my friends, and with myself. And I had this one powerful anchor in my life, a metal band called Final Design. That was, that's kind of a joke, but it's real. Um, the, the drummer in that, in that band, his name is Luke, and uh, he, he was Christian, and his family was Christian. And for three years, four years, we practiced at the, in their garage weekly. And uh, after every practice, we would go in, and his parents would feed us, and they'd minister to us. And I didn't really know it, but I was being fed Jesus. And it, it was in that time towards when I was almost 21 where it really started to work on me. And I would go to youth groups and watch Luke play and hear the message, and it was troubling me. It was getting to me. And I, and I started to imagine myself kind of slowly taking this walk um, to the edge of a cliff, and I had my toes over the edge, and the deep was beckoning to me, jump, jump. And I was full of fear because I didn't know that if I jumped, who would I be after I, after I took, the, took the leap? And I was just full of trepidation, and my friend Luke took me to a church service at this church called Reality, and the, the preacher there was preaching out of Romans 8, and he said something like, the same spirit that was, if, it, the same spirit that was with the Father in creation and in Jesus Christ is here in you today. And that moment drew this intimate connection with me to Christ, something I deeply needed, something I deeply needed to know that I was loved and this God that we talk about loves me too. So that day when I was 21, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and confessed him as my Lord and Savior. And since that day, I've been following him and not turned aside and the fear I felt of jumping in, the wonder that I experienced about the love of God were together in a moment and confirmed what I wasn't sure was true, that God loves me and that the surrender is worth it. Jesus wants to draw our fear and wonder to be focused on him and wanting us to ask the question, who is this man? Jesus is calling you to recognize that Jesus, in fact, is the Savior who loves you as a child, of the child of God that you are. Jesus knows that you have put your faith in other things other than him. And that's why he asks you the question, not, not for himself, but for us, for you, to recognize that you too 
that we also have put our faith in other things besides Jesus. He knows your sin and your faults and your doubts, but that does not detour him from getting in the boat with you. He will go wherever you go. And Psalm 139 paints this picture beautifully. And it talks about how he he created us and will go anywhere with us out of love. It's so, it's so beautiful. We're gonna, I'm going to read it this morning. You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night all around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And then... And then, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I tell you this morning that the same spirit that was in creation with the Father and upon Jesus Christ, is here with you today to testify that Jesus is Lord and Savior and can be trusted to love you. The Spirit wants to show you that the same fear and wonder that the Father made you with is what will allow you to see Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus is inviting you to surrender to him, not as one who wants to judge you, but as one who wants to accept you, to forgive you, and to show you how much he loves you now and forevermore. Jesus invites you to stop focusing on and fighting the storms of your lives and put your full faith in him, who, like God, can command the waves with a word. For if Jesus is in the boat, the power to command the storm comes with him and with you. Look today to Jesus with childlike faith. Surrender to him as Lord and Savior and allow him to be your peace. As a way to respond to Jesus' invitation, we're going to have an opportunity to pray 
as a community. There will be slides with prayers on them that will be ready for us to read. So I'll lead out and have, uh, invite you to pray with me. And we will have a moment of reflection between, between the prayers. And this morning, after, uh, as the worship, when the worship team comes up, we'll have uh, prayer ministers in the front if you'd like to receive prayer. And this is an invitation not just, not just for those who may not be on the boat with Jesus yet, but also for many of us who've been on the boat for a long time and may be full of fear, full of doubt, unsure of our, of our status with God. I tell you, this invitation is also a renewal, an invitation to renew your covenant relationship with Christ. So let us prepare ourselves now to uh, pray out together as a community. Let us begin. Heavenly Father, we are filled with fear for the storms in our lives. We have not looked to Jesus but to ourselves for relief and fulfillment. Forgive us for our lack of faith. Help us today to allow our fear of the storm become fearful awe of your son Jesus so that he may be our pure focus. Let us take just a second to meditate on that. Let us continue in prayer. Heavenly Father, return us to a childlike faith, one that recognizes the wonder of your creation. Allow us to let children to be our teachers and their wonder to direct our faith. Cause us to feel free to wonder at your love for us through your Son, Jesus. And finally, let us continue. Heavenly Father, help us to accept the invitation of Jesus. Help us believe that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that we are made to be loved. Help us today see Jesus as Lord and Savior and say yes to his invitation.